Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and... Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. I am unstoppable. You are unstoppable. I pray that these words have been giving life so far in the dawning days of this new year. That is our mantra for the year, our theme for the year. And we are in that series this month. Uh, the first Sunday and the second Sunday, it was part one and two, I Am Unstoppable. Last Sunday, was, we talked about Joseph, Unstoppable Dreams. And this Sunday, I want to talk about Unstoppable Faith. And I want to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 32, again, another familiar story. and We're going to see what what we can glean from. And I had a, there was a deacon of the congregation I served in North Carolina for eight years. He would often, and it was in North Carolina, as I said, and, and he was a deacon who had all the sayings. I mean, all the country sayings, man. And I would always say, you know, I would preach sometimes. And I was like, I went to this scripture before and I preached from this scripture before. And he would come to me and say, Rev, you know, you can always get fresh water from an old well. So we're going to go to an old well this morning, get some fresh water. So Genesis 32, I want to read from verse 22 through 31. Genesis 20, 32 rather, 22 through 31. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Here's how it reads. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. 
The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, thank you today. Thank you. For God, this is truly the day that you have made. And we will rejoice. We are rejoicing. For we are glad in it. God, we come now, oh God, some leaning on your promises, standing on your word, but open, oh God, to what you will share today, what you will reveal today. But God, we come believing that you have a word for us, oh God. God, do whatever you need to do in this moment to get the glory out of it. Most of all, oh God, let your word do its own work. And we will keep our hearts open, our spirits open, our minds open, our eyes open to what you would want us to experience today in this preached moment. God, we thank you. God, we love you. And God, we honor you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to read just a portion of that. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Amen. Well, put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You take your seat unstoppable faith. Jacob's life was signified by things that most of us would call problematic. Even in the womb, he was grasping after something else, grasping on his twin brother's heel, Esau. He was named Jacob, which some translated into meaning heel grabber or trickster or supplanter. Someone whose life was shaped by deception. Jacob's story is long and you can read it in those chapters of Genesis. But Jacob and his mother basically concocted a plan to deceive his father, Isaac, so that he could get the blessing of the firstborn, the blessing that should have gone to his brother Esau. Esau, on one occasion, had gone hunting and was hungry and was so famished that he was willing to give up his birthright for a meal that Jacob had prepared. But they needed to get the ultimate blessing from, a from Isaac, their father. And so Jacob and his mother, who favored the younger son, Jacob, decided that they would fool the father, Isaac, in order to get the blessing, the birthright. He dressed up like his brother, put some hair, camel's hair on his arms, and so that he would give the appearance to his father, who was blind, that it was the older brother, the more rugged, rough brother, Esau. And they achieved their plan. They deceived the father, and he got the birthright from Isaac. Esau came and realized that his brother Jacob had not only tricked him because of his own yearnings, his own hunger to get the birthright, but that he had deceived his father. 
And when he realized that his brother Jacob had deceived him, the scripture says that Esau really wanted to kill his brother. And so Jacob left. He ran. He had to flee for safety, running from his own deceptive ways. And in running from his deceptive ways, the scripture says something interesting that on one night when he was in Bethel on his way to his uncle's territory, Laban, he had a vision, a dream from God. He saw a ladder and angels ascending and descending on the ladder that was going all the way to heaven. This is where you get the idea of Jacob's ladder. It was there that night while he had the vision and he saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder that was going to heaven, that God spoke to the deceiver. God speaks to the one who lied, who deceived in order to get what didn't belong to him. And he speaks to Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, and he reinforces the promise that God made to his grandfather, Abraham, made to his father, Isaac. And now God was making a promise that he would be with him, that his offspring would be numerous, that out of him would come a mighty nation there in that nighttime vision. God made a promise to someone who some of us would have disqualified. He had lied. He had deceived his father. He had deceived his brother. He tried to claim what didn't belong to him. And there on the run, because of his deceptive ways, God still made a promise to him. It's amazing how, again, I'll say it, and this is not where I really want to stay long today, but it's amazing how some actions of people that we would want to disqualify because we would deem them and deem the person unworthy of any kind of blessing. Here it is that God in the nighttime, in his escape from his own deception, God makes a promise to the one whom some would have disqualified because of his ways. It's amazing. It reminds us that the promise that God makes, the promises of God are not always dependent, ultimately not dependent on who you may be. See, see, some people don't like to hear that because there's this thought that, well, you know, God makes God's promises. God fills, God's fulfill God's promises to those who are just righteous, who are upright, who are upstanding, who don't do wrong, who always dot every I, cross every T, do everything that is right. And here it is. You get in Scripture, not in what somebody said or not in what somebody made up. You have here in Scripture what God does, what some people now will say are the things that disqualify you from God's favor. And not so when you read this story. And there in the midnight, nighttime, nighttime, God visits Jacob and God reinforces the promise. But the promise of God apparently was not enough to get Jacob to change his ways. He's still the deceiver. He goes to his uncle's house. And again, I won't belabor the story, but he sees Rachel and is really his cousin. But she's amazing. She's beautiful. He tells his uncle Laban he wants to marry her. And so he must work in order to marry her, the uncle tells him. But the uncle tricks him. And instead of getting Rachel on the wedding night, he got Leah, the older sister. The trickster got tricked. And so he really wanted to be with Rachel. He had now Leah, who he did not want, who his uncle tricked him into really marrying. And then he had to work some more years in order to get Rachel. And so he now has Leah and Rachel and he's living in his uncle's territory, but he's expanding. 
but he's expanding because he did some things to trick his uncle. He's still up to his trickster ways. Ultimately, he and his uncle reconcile, and then he leaves on good terms with his uncle. But now he realizes after many years, after his children are born, after the wives he has, that it's time to go back home. He's been on the run now for some 20 years, and he feels it's time to go back home. But he's afraid to go back home. He wants to go back, but he's afraid because he believes that his brother Esau still wants to kill him. And so he's terrified, but he knows ultimately he can't move forward in life without trying to reconcile what had been done at the beginning of this journey, and that was stealing his brother's birthright. But he fears that his brother is still angry. His brother may still want to kill him. And so he's hesitant, but he knows he has to go back. You have to watch this. He knows he has to go back, but he feels his brother will kill him. But he knows he can't move forward in life carrying the weight of his deception, carrying the weight of what he did to his brother. He wants to reconcile and he decides no matter what happens, he's going to reconcile. He even sends some gifts to his brother thinking that could ease the tension and and he doesn't know if it works or not because there's no response from Esau. And so he's going back. He sent some things ahead to kind of ease the path. He shared some of his wealth with his brother Esau, but he doesn't know if Esau is still angry or not, but he knows he has to go back. And so on this particular day, he gets his family, he gets his wives, his maids, his children, and he sends them ahead of him. There's some who read this story and said this may be a sign of his fear and weakness that he's afraid to go see his brother. He's worried that his brother might kill him, but he sends his family in between almost as a buffer between him and his brother, still fearful of what his brother may do and hoping that maybe if his brother sees the enormity of his own family, that maybe it'll change his brother's attitude. He, he, he decides to send his family in front of him, and his scripture says that he sends them ahead, and then he is is alone again and it is nighttime and he is now by himself maybe contemplating what may happen maybe wondering is this going to be his last night not knowing if Esau is going to kill him because because the truth is from the very beginning again he has been the deceiver he he has wrestled with himself in so many ways and it says there by the Jabbok River, which really is amazing because in the Hebrew, the word Jabbok is a play on the word wrestle. And there by the river of wrestling, the scripture says that a figure appears in Jacob's solitude, in his aloneness. This figure shows up who we know the story. We've read the story. We know it's God, but Jacob doesn't know this, but we know it as we read the story. But what is interesting is that in his solitude, in his aloneness, once again, God shows up. I'm going to say it again. Maybe you'll catch this in his aloneness, in his solitude, as he's wrestling with his past and his past behavior and his past actions and the things he's done, his deceiving ways, his deception, his lies, his dishonesty, while he's wrestling with the idea of his behavior, how he tricked his father, how he deceived his brother, how his very life has been shaped by his name, Jacob, which means trick the supplanter, one who 
overreaches, that his whole life has been overreaching, trying to attain things that didn't really belong to him, trying to access blessings that did not have his name on it, trying to deceive his way to a destiny of future that God had already promised for him. And there, in solitude and in aloneness again, God shows up. The first time God showed up, Jacob was alone in Bethel, and now he's now alone at the Jabbok River, and God shows up again in his solitude, in his aloneness. I'm going to repeat that. In his solitude, in his aloneness, God shows up in his solitude, in his aloneness. And here some of us are afraid to be alone and afraid to be in solitude and afraid to not be surrounded. We keep people around us because we're afraid of being by ourselves and afraid of walking along ourselves on this journey. And God shows up in Jacob's solitude, in his aloneness. I read somewhere that the mother country of the strong is solitude. That it is in solitude where things begin to happen. And every now and again, you have to create space where you can sit in silence and in solitude, not surrounded by noise or people and steal away and sit still and experience the presence of God. And there are those this morning who may actually be in that space of aloneness and like Jacob, wrestling with your past and wrestling with your life and wrestling with your behavior and wrestling with the things you've done in your life that you might not be pleased on, but you might not be well you're ashamed of and God shows up the scripture says that the figure that Jacob sees begins to wrestle wrestle with Jacob in the nighttime have you ever wrestled with God I know, I know, I know. There's some of us, we don't often say it, but but we save those moments again for our alone moments where we find ourselves crying out to God, wanting God to move. And, and, and sometimes our assumptions about God are what make us cry out to God. But either way, that crying out to God, that lamenting to God is often in the midst or on the heels of some experience that has felt overwhelming and some trauma that may have felt depleting in some circumstance that seems too much to bear. And then we take what we feel is the promise of God mixed with our behavior that we're not we're not proud of. And then we cry out to God waiting for the shifting to take place, especially if we heard God make a promise, a promise in the midst of our problematic personalities that God has been honoring. And then when these things do not come to pass and things actually seem like they're moving in the opposite direction from the direction of the future that you've been promised, you begin to wrestle with God and wrestle with God promises and wonder, God, what am I going through and why am I going through this and why haven't you showed up and why haven't these things happened the way you promised? And why are not things turning out the way they need to? And why are the plans collapsing? And why are people fleeing from my presence? And why does people don't do people not understand me? And why do I have to go through this? Have you ever wrestled with God in your own midnight hour? God, why am I feeling this pain? And why am I going through this situation? And why am I feeling what I'm feeling right now? Why? Why did I live that life? And why did I make this decision? And why are these consequences connected to the decisions I 
made. I thought they were good choices, but they did not work out. And God, I thought you would protect me, but now I'm catching hell, it seems, from every single angle in my life. And you begin to wrestle with God. Have you ever been in that place where you found yourself fighting with your assumptions about God and fighting with what you heard from God? Jacob is wrestling just like some of us wrestle and wrestling right now. Wrestling with ideas of a future that has not yet come to pass. Wrestling with assumptions about God's action in your life that do not seem to be making sense. Have you had to wrestle in those moments of aloneness, crying out to God? You may not have wrestled like Jacob, but metaphorically, you struggled. You struggled with who you are and struggled with who you believe yourself to be and struggle in the midst of all of that with where God is. Because the assumption is if God is present, why would I go through all these things? If God is here, why am I hurting so? If God is here, why am I feeling the way I feel. And then sometimes you internalize it and you begin to think, well, maybe God is upset. Maybe I didn't do things. And so instead of sitting in the silence with unanswered questions from God, you start filling in the space of emptiness with assumptions about yourself. And you start turning inward on yourself. And instead of just being still in the life experience, you begin to make assumptions about you. Because at the end of the day, although you wrestle with God, you really don't want to blame God because something in you says that's not right. And so instead of blaming God, you then blame yourself. Maybe it's me. Maybe God's distancing. Maybe this season. Maybe what you perceive as punishment. Maybe what you perceive as God walking away. Maybe God, it was me. Maybe it was me. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe my, my choices and my decisions and my attitude and my behavior and my character and my personality is the problem. So instead of resting in the silence of unanswered questions and unanswered laments to God, you begin to make a Assumptions that you are the problem. So instead of being still and realize the presence of God, you begin to realize that or think that you are the problem. And so now you compounded your struggle because you're struggling with past decisions, past choices, past actions. And now you brought those past struggles into your current pain and current lament and you dumble and compounded those issues. And now you feel like a total mess. You in here this morning and you came dragging and clawing your way and hoping that somehow being in this sanctuary could have some effect to get the answer that you think you need from God or maybe at least feel good because you ain't been feeling good this whole week. Maybe being in here and having praise and worship and hearing a word will be the thing to help you face the next day. But when you leave, you realize the struggle ain't going nowhere because you're still wrestling with your past and still wrestling with your character and still wrestling with your personality. And you're still in that space of questioning God, questioning God because there is no answer. The silence is killing you and you are wrestling wrestling. Jacob was wrestling. He said all night, we don't get the play by play of the match. We don't know how it went. We just know it lasted all night long. That all night he was wrestling. All night, no sleep. Oh, you've been there. No sleep. No rest. Just wrestling. You 
Your mind is racing a thousand miles a minute and there's no sleeping in sight. You can't steal your mind enough just to rest all night long, wrestling, 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 laying in bed, but awake and hurt, laying in bed, but bruised emotionally, spiritually, wrestling. And, and the torment is then accentuated because when the day comes, you still feel the way you felt in the midnight hour. Oh, I know I'm talking to somebody today. They wrestle all night. The day is breaking. And the figure says, let me go. The thought was that no one could really see God face to face and live. If this figure is God, the figure is saying, let me go. But you got to understand that Jacob in the beginning has gone from wrestling, a little subtle shift, Alicia, from wrestling to now clinging. He began wrestling, but now as a conversation ensues, almost at the break, the break of day, now he's clinging. Oh, you're going to catch this. Possibly all of his strength has been depleted in the wrestling. He is now empty which may seem like a bad position if you're wrestling, but it may be the best position to be as you engage God. He's empty, strength gone, and now he's holding on to God for dear life. Oh, you've been there. You've been there. Well, the only thing you could do was hold on to God. You started going through all the scriptures you had read and all the words people had spoken to you. you. You're trying to recount in life all the prayers that have been prayed over you. That's all you got is the word from God. That's all you got is God's presence. You hold on to that for dear life. You will not give up because no matter how bad it is, something in you says God is still there. That's the promise God made to Jacob in Bethel in the middle of the night. He said the last word, wherever you go, I will be with you. Boy, somebody needs to be reminded of that today. Today because it's not just that you go through circumstances connected to your choice and decisions, but they're those feelings, as I said before, you feel almost abandoned by God as though something you did has offended God in such a way that God no longer is present. No, God told Jacob, wherever you go, it doesn't matter what you are doing in this moment. I got to hear somebody got to hear that, because, again, you may think you mean, God, I can do anything and you'll be fine with that. No, God just said there's nothing you can do to now cause me to erase my presence in your life. If there's something you can do to erase God's presence in your life, you must ask the honest philosophical question, who's really in control? Because if my actions can make God leave me, then I am controlling the relationship. But in other words, there's nothing that I can do, you can do, that can actually cause God to turn God's back on you, no matter how ruptured you may think the relationship is, no matter how dysfunctional you may think the relationship is you still are a child still son still daughter and there's nothing you can do wherever you go i am with you jacob and here even by the jabbok by the river of wrestling as they wrestle god is still present in that moment and he says to jacob let me go for the day is breaking and jacob says no i will not let Oh, I don't care what you do. The scripture says that when he tried to shake loose, that the angel, the presence, God struck him in the hip and dislocated his hip. And here he was, dislocated hip, disfigured body, 
disjointed, but still not letting go of God. He said, I will not let you go. And somebody needs to know that. That is called unstoppable faith. It doesn't matter what the situation or what the circumstance. I will not let you go. That's when you have to start speaking differently. Instead of speaking about the things you've done that you view as problematic, start speaking words that are different. Start saying things like, well, God, every time I messed up, you never left me. Every time I fell short, you never left me. Even when I lied and deceived and cheated, you never left me because there's nothing I can do. What can separate you from the love of God? Somebody needs to know that today. I will not let go. I will not let go. It doesn't matter how bleak the moment. All I got is the capacity to cling on to God in this moment. People have left me and people I thought would always be there have forsaken me and the folk I love have deceived me and the people I thought would cover me have now left. All I can do is hold on to God. I'm talking to the folk right now who are relentless in their faith. I am not going to forfeit what has carried me all these years. My belief in God, my faith in God's presence is a thing that has sustained me, kept my mind when I almost lost it, knowing that God is present. I can't let that go. Look at somebody and tell them, hold on. Hold on just a little while longer because whether you know it or not, you're about to turn the corner in your life and things are about to shift in a way that all of the pain will start to make sense and all the hell will have a resolution. Look at somebody, tell them, hold on. You were just about to give up and throw in the towel, but I'm here to let you know, hold on for life. Let your faith be unstoppable. Why am I holding on? Because I believe everything that God has told me and I will not let it go. He said, I won't let go. My faith won't let me let go. I've been through too much to let go. I've seen you move too much to let go. You've opened too many doors for me to let go. You've dealt with too many enemies for me to let go. Is there anybody here who can testify? I will not let go. I've seen too many people backstab me. I've seen too many folks try to conspire against me. But through it all, God has kept me. I will not let go. I will not let you go until you bless me. That's faith. I won't let go until things start turning. And can I really blow your mind? Even then, I'm not letting go. Yeah, I'm done, but here. God said, you want a blessing? You're going to participate in it. What's your name? Oh, my God. 
I said this many years ago, but, but, but you have to read Genesis to understand this, that at no time in Jacob's story did he ever say his name. When he came to his father, he said, it's me, Esau. On the run at Laban's territory, he introduced himself as your sister's son. He never said his name. He never said, verbalized out loud his name until by the Jabbok wrestling with God, dislocated hip, disfigured, disjointed, and depleted of all his strength. For the first time, he said, Jacob. Oh, God. What's standing between you and the breakthrough? You may not be ready for this. Own who you are. Don't be ashamed of it. You are not the sum total of the things you've done that you do not like. There is more to your story, more to your identity than the things people try to hold over your head to make you feel bad about who you are. What's your name? Say it with pride and with strength because no matter what you've done, you are bigger than those issues. Own it. Own who you are. That's when you got to remind some people, I'm not perfect, but I'm me. No, you ain't catch it yet. No, 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 no. I'm not perfect. I made mistakes. And let me pause. And now I've decided to stop living a lie about who I am. I will no longer cover myself in an identity that is not true to who I am. I will let my authenticity speak for me. I will let the genuineness of my spirit be my calling card. I will not placate you by being something I am not. I will own who I am. And if you can't handle it, I don't need you in my life at all. But you got to be willing like Jacob to be alone and realize that you plus God is always something powerful and you are not alone. What is your name today? Don't be ashamed of the things you've done. Don't be ashamed of the things and the choices you've made that didn't work out. Own it. Because when you say, God, I won't let you go until you bless me, make sure it's you who's actually talking. And God says, no longer will you be known as Jacob, but Israel, the father of the multitude. One translation, watch this. But it also means God striver, God perseverer, one who was relentless in their pursuit, pursuit of God. Can I give you the new translation? One who has unstoppable faith. That's it. And what's the ultimate blessing? To experience transformation. Jacob went through all of that to see himself anew. New identity. New day. That transformation was the blessing. 
The blessing was the capacity for Jacob to own who he was, and then it was for God to shift his identity. He's no longer who he was. He's walking in the newness of life. And watch this. And the scripture says he's walking into the sunrise with this limp. He got, he got the scars to show that he's been through something with God. You, you've been battle tested in this journey. And, and every now and again, you walk metaphorically with that limp. And sometimes we try to cover up those scars, those signs of turmoil and turbulence. But no, no. Transformation is always on the agenda with God. Always on the agenda. I'm amazed that I don't know what Jacob may have had in mind with blessings. I don't know if he thought that God would change his identity. Shifted him so that the so that his character and identity would catch up with God's promise. In that regard, God did more than Jacob ever expected. That's why I love this journey with God. Oftentimes, the longer you journey with God, God will blow your mind. And that's when you begin to thank God that God did more. I love it. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward